Hello and welcome to Frank Skinner's Poetry Podcast. Today, I would like to speak about Carol Ann Doffy, who is a very famous British poet born in Scotland and who was Poet Laureate, the first ever woman Poet Laureate in the UK between 2009 and 2019. You will have heard of Carol Ann Doffy and many of you may well have read her poetry in the context of the school curriculum. She's been on a few syllabi in her time. I have no idea if that is the plural, but hi, it's a poetry podcast. You're allowed to invent. I'm going to go straight into it. I think Caroline Doffy is obviously a fab poet, and I've picked two of my faves, one that you may well have heard before, one which you may not. Anyway, the one I want to begin with is called Death of a Teacher. And, well, I'm going to go straight into it. The big trees outside are into their poker game again, shuffling and dealing, turning, folding their leaves, drifting down to the lawn, floating away ace-high on a breeze. You died yesterday. Okay, so it begins with an elaborate metaphor making a tree or a collection of trees sound like card players. And it works well. They, They do shuffle and deal. Their leaves shuffle around and they are dealt to the ground, turning, folding their leaves, all the things that card players do with their cards are... Trees, I imagine, know when to hold them and know when to fold them, in the words of Kenny Rogers. Drifting down to the lawn, floating away ace high. They look a bit like, I don't know, ace of spades, some of those leaves. Floating away ace high on a breeze. So we begin with a very poetic, almost stereotypically poetic description of trees and then just when we're thinking wow this is what poetry is all about isn't it it's a clever comparisons and then suddenly the punch to the stomach three words you died yesterday and then everything changes I don't know if Caroline Doffey or the speaker of the poem is saying, yeah, I love all that stuff, but sometimes it's so real and so raw. Don't forget that stuff as well. Bang, you died yesterday. Okay, next section. When I heard the hour, home time, last bell, late afternoon, I closed my eyes. English, of course. Three decades back and me 13. You sat on your desk, swinging your legs, reading a poem by Yeats to the bored girls. Except my heart stumbled and blushed as it fell in love with the words. And I saw the tree in the scratched old desk under my hands. 
heard the bird in the oak outside scribble itself on the air. Oh man, I love this. So, clearly the speaker has heard of the death of her old teacher. When I heard the hour, home time, last bell, late afternoon. So it seems that the teacher died at home time, school home time. Last bell, of course, as a extended meaning there. The last bell that finishes the school day and also the last bell tolling for the dead. I closed my eyes, English, of course, so she's just gone back in her imagination, like those things on television programmes where it goes a bit wobbly. You know, they're going back in time. Three decades back and me 13, you sat on your desk swinging your legs, reading a poem by Yeats. We already know, don't we, that this teacher's one of those teachers who has a great energy, who can move you, who seems beyond the sometimes stiff and starched manner of uh, teachers. A teacher who sits on her desk swinging her legs. This is someone you can identify with, someone who's got a bit extra about them. Reading a poem by Yates to the bored girls. So it's that feeling, I think, when you're sort of and I, I did teach for a while in a college of further education, and you can feel that you are speaking into a desperate chasm. And then years later, see someone in that class, and they will recite something back to you that you said, which has stuck with them. It's a, it, it can be a job of frightening influence, and I think this poem shows that, that the influence of this teacher seems incredibly positive. So she read to the bored girls, but the voice in this poem, who is, I suppose, offering this eulogy for the dead teacher, was not one of the bored girls, except my heart stumbled and blushed as it fell in love with the words. And it's like falling in love for the first time, isn't it? When you are 13, you stumble and blush. You're awkward, you're embarrassed. But here, it's the words, it's the poetry that she's fallen in love with. And that moment, the, the teacher has informed this young girl about what words can mean, about how life can be affected by thinking of it in poetic terms and she says and I saw the tree in the scratched old desk under my hands heard the bird nice internal rhyme heard the bird in the oak outside scribble itself on the air so it's like she's suddenly become sensitized suddenly become aware of the poetry of life this isn't the, the old desk that I just lean on every day. It, it was a tree. It was alive and, and standing somewhere grandly. And, and that bird in, in the oak outside, the, the, the thought of the, the tree in the desk reminds her of the oak outside. She hears it scribble itself on the air. It's like now nature is writing. Everything seems to be involved 
in poetry. It feels like a real epiphany for this young 13-year-old schoolgirl. And it's all come from this teacher sitting on the desk reading W.B. Yeats. Okay, next section. We were truly there. Present, miss. I have to stop it there. I think that, I love that. We were truly there. So it's just, in a way, it's just her and the teacher for that moment. It doesn't matter about the bored girls sitting around. We were truly there, present, miss. And suddenly she is alive. She is present. Suddenly everything means more. But of course, beautifully, present, miss, is what you say when you answer the register. So it's a a lovely blend, a lovely juxtaposition of this metaphysical moment with the humdrum of everyday school life. We were truly there present, miss. Or later the smoke from your black cigarette braided itself with lines from Keats. Now, when I was growing up, The only black cigarettes I knew were called Sobrani Black Russian and they smelt a bit stranger than your average British cigarette and people smoked them in order to show, I think, that they were slightly more avant-garde, slightly more alternative in their lifestyle. Our Keith, uh, my brother, used to smoke them and he was a man who liked um, progressive rock music and uh, was a member of CND. And he liked the idea, I think, of, of having that badge about him. You could, you could smell his alternative nature in the tobacco. And this teacher seems to be following the same thing. She doesn't say it's a Sobrani Black Russian, but it's got to be. A smoke from your black cigarette braided itself with lines from Keats. So as she speaks, the tobacco seems to be embedded, wrapped around, braided with the words of Keats. I don't know if that means the teacher was smoking in class or if she got to know her better and um, maybe this was in a pub somewhere or at the teacher's house, a party, whatever. This teacher has really had an effect. And I know it's a, 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 a cliche to say there's one teacher in your life who had a real effect on you. But as Alexander Pope said, you know, what is off said but ne'er so well expressed. And this is beautifully expressed and um, it's just special. Okay, teaching is endless love. The poems by heart, spells, the lists, lovely on the learning tongue. The lessons, just as you said for life. Mm. Teaching is endless love. That is a a, a beautiful concept. And you can hear the, the repeated L sounds in this. She's enjoying, again, the language, enjoying the, the poetics, if you like. Teaching is endless love. The poems by heart spells the lists lovely on the learning tongue. The lessons, just as you said, for life. 
listen to those. It sounds luxuriant. It reminds me a bit of this. Um, my son went to a school where the headmaster had on his wall the boyhood of Sir Walter Raleigh. It was a painting, obviously. And it was an old man sitting talking to what one would assume was the young Walter Raleigh. And he's pointing out to the horizon out across the sea. They're on a sort of a, on a dock. And the headmaster had that painting to suggest the idea of a teacher pointing out to the horizon, pointing out saying, you can travel out there, you can have your voyages, your discoveries, you can find your treasures. It's all out there for you and I'm going to just show you the way. And this feels like that. Teaching is endless love. Endless because this teacher died today and her influence clearly lives on in the speaker. The poems by heart, spells, the lists lovely on the learning tongue. Poems by heart, something that doesn't happen so much now at school, but learning poems off by heart. Spells, I think, mean spelling tests, but also he's operating there, I think, suggesting that these poems when learned by heart, have a sort of a magic spell feel to them, something more cosmic than just mere rhyme. The lists lovely on the learning tongue. So whatever these lists are, be they adjectives or something of that nature, the lists lovely on the learning tongue. And I, I love the idea of the learning tongue. I'm very excited by the idea of learning. It, it, it didn't really strike me till I was about 19 when my school days were done and I had to go back and do evening classes and all that. Nevertheless, I get excited at the idea of the learning tongue. So when you repeat something, repeat those lists, you learn it gets onto your hard drive. The list lovely on the learning tongue, the lessons, just as you said, for life. And this is definitely established here because she still remembers the speaker, the things that she learnt from that teacher. They still stay in her mind. They still inform her now. And the last, the very last sentence. Under the gambling trees. So we've gone back to those poker playing trees again. The gold light thins and burns. So, sunset, a perfect time of day to be talking of death. The edge of a page of a book, precious, waiting to be turned. And I think what she means is when you see sunset, you see that thin line of gold across the horizon just before the sun disappears. And it looks like the edge of, you know, you get those books where the edges of the page are gold. It looks like that. It looks like the page of a book, as she says, precious, waiting to be turned. And I guess for all those girls in school, that life was this book, this this beautiful book waiting to be opened, those pages waiting to be turned. 
She turned the golden pages, the speaker, inspired by the teacher. And I guess now the teacher's book is closed. But clearly, the speaker of the poem continues to read and to learn from it. She's still the girl who, as she said, fell in love with words. I think it's a stunning, moving poem, and anyone who's ever been contacted in some way at school by a teacher, not necessarily at school later as well, it's a very special uh, thing. I'm going to do one more poem by Caroline Duffy, and this one is, well, it's it's like George Formby said that when he, George Formby, the uh, the ukulele player and a big British comedy star of the uh, 30s and 40s, said that when he did a gig, he just had to do, and then he rattled off three songs that he always had to do. And I think this, if you like, is the big Carol Ann Duffy hit with which she is uh, synonymous for many people. In fact, The Guardian in 2009... The year, coincidentally, that um, Carol Ann Duffy became Poet Laureate, uh, had a survey of people's favourite poems in Britain. And um, this poem came second after Philip Larkin's Wits and Weddings, the actual poem rather than the collection, which is a fabulous poem. But I think you'll agree this deserved its, uh, its billing. If you've if you know a Carol Ann Duffy poem, you'll know this one. It's called Prayer. And it's one of those poems, uh, coincidentally, like Larkin's Church Going, where the speaker likes to visit churches, although he has no religious belief himself. This is about prayer and religion sort of creeping into lives where it's not really sought out or um, wanted. Again, I love it. I don't think you should turn your back on a poem or a song because it's uh, well known. That seems wrong to me. Okay, first stanza. Some days, although we cannot pray, a prayer utters itself. So a woman will lift her head from the sieve of her hands and stare at the minims sung by a tree. A sudden gift. Wow. So some days, although we cannot pray, a prayer utters itself. So there's a, immediately a conflict here between disbelief and belief. It seems we cannot pray because I feel because we don't believe anymore. That's what's being said. But then these prayers sort of happen. They utter themselves. So a woman will, and again, this is a great image. So a woman will lift her head from the sieve of her hands. So it's when you see people with their head in their hands, and it's a sieve, obviously, because of the gaps between their fingers. And also you imagine tears maybe going through that sieve. So a woman will lift her head from the sieve of her hands and stare at the 
Minims sung by a tree. A sudden gift. Now, uh, a, a minim, if you're a reader of sheet music, you'll know that that is a sort of half note. But this, I think, it, to, to look at a tree, to stare at the minim sung by a tree, a sudden gift, I think we're going beyond music here. We're going to some sort of cosmic experience, some mystical epiphany that this woman who's had her head in her hands has looked up and seen something in a tree more than more than musical more but but expressed here as music because how else do you express this sort of cosmic feeling that seems to come out of nowhere a sudden gift Let's look at that stanza again quickly. Some days, although we cannot pray, a prayer utters itself. So that's what's happening with the tree. So a woman will lift her head from the sieve of her hands and stare at the minim sung by a tree, a sudden gift, as if it is a choir, as if it's singing some sort of hymn. And she hasn't willed this, but in her distress, it has come to her. Next stanza some nights although we are faithless the truth enters our hearts and i want you to see the mirroring of those first two stanzas i should i didn't point out this is a sonnet 14 lines and it can be split eight six various ways this one is uh four 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 two which sounds like the team formation of a very innumerate football coach 4442 so we did the first four line stanza here is the second some nights although we are faithless the truth enters our hearts and that is a direct mirror of that first stanza that first four line stanza in the first it was some days although we cannot pray a prayer utters itself. And now some nights, although we are faithless, the truth enters our hearts. So we, we can't keep this stuff at bay. Even though we're saying, I don't believe, I don't pray. What is this light that's suddenly taken me over? Okay, some nights, although we are faithless, the truth enters our hearts. That small, familiar pain. Then a man will stand stock still, hearing his youth in the distant Latin chanting of a train. Wow. So the truth enters our hearts, that small, familiar pain. And I guess the pain is all about regret and guilt and that stuff. That small familiar pain. Then a man will stand stock still before, remember, a woman had her head in her hands. Here now a man will stand stock still, hearing his youth in the distant Latin chanting of a train. So just like that tree seemed to conjure up some sort of hymn, 
Now the sound of a train in the distance sounds like a, a Latin chant, even song or something of that nature. And the man will stand stock still, hearing his youth. And there's something mournful and nostalgic and some sense of loss about that. And again, he hasn't sought this, this man. It's this religious experience has been imposed upon him by something. Third, third set of four. Pray for us now. So there's a suggestion now. For me, this is a speaker who maybe doesn't have a religious faith, but feels one in the air, can't shrug it off. Pray for us now. Grade one piano scales console the lodger looking out across a Midlands town. Then dusk. And someone calls a child's name as though they named their loss. Okay, pray for us now. And I think now that this prayer is permeating the poem, the speaker reaches out to it that they might receive something. And we get the image of grade one piano scales and which consoled the lodger looking out across a Midlands town. And I'm imagining now the lodger lonely in their room. And this time hearing grade one piano scales, probably, this happens a lot in my street, the sound of a, a child practising piano. Grade one is pretty basic. So this is not some fabulous choral experience it is not a gregorian chant it is the most basic of music but it's to do with contact i think the lonely lodger just needing to know that there's other life that there's someone else out there then dusk and someone calls a child's name as though they named their loss that is I don't know if I fully understand that, but it still moves me. I certainly grew up with around uh, dusk. You would get the voices of many mothers calling out children's names. They'd been playing out until it was just getting dark and now they were being called in for their dinner. Maybe that's what's happening here. Then dusk and someone calls a child's name as though they named their loss calling them in to home, to somewhere they're safe and somewhere they'll be loved. And that's maybe what these strange, intrusive prayers are doing. They're calling us in. They're calling us in from the dark and saying, come into the warmth, to the safety, to a place where you'll be cherished. Hmm... That child motif runs through this poem. I think the speaker, and, and not just the speaker, but the woman suddenly gazing at the tree, the man hearing Latin chanting in the sound of the train, and that lodger hearing childish piano playing, they all seem to 
remember in some way the simple faith of their childhood, a, a simple faith that's now lost. And that calling of a child's name, as the poem says, as though they named their loss, could be the adult sort of calling themselves back to the light, if you like. I think childhood here represented by the music that's often part of uh, religion when you're a kid, be it the school assemblies or choir practice or being in church itself. Childhood religion had a simplicity and a sort of innocence that enabled these people in the poem to pray, to believe. But adulthood experience and obviously I keep saying experience because I'm thinking of Blake's innocence and experience and that might, that is what's going on here. Experiences has made belief harder, maybe impossible now, but still we, uh, they, the characters of this poem, the speaker of the poem, still they yearn for what they've lost. As the speaker says, pray for us now now that we as adults are no longer able to pray for ourselves, it seems. And in the poem's last copley, we find out what kind of prayer growing up has left us with. The poem ends, Darkness outside, inside the radio's prayer, Rockall, Malin, Dogger, Finisterre. So we've ended with a rhyming couplet, as sonnets often do. And I don't know if you recognise Rockall, Malin, Dogger, Finisterre. It's the shipping forecast that you get very late at night on Radio 4. And um, it's meaningless to most landlubbers like myself, but obviously a matter of life and death to anyone who's actually likely to be at sea that night and darkness outside I don't know if you noticed in these stanzas first one begins some days the second one begins some nights in the third stanza then dusk and someone calls so it's steadily getting darker and now this last couplet begins darkness outside and that to me suggests ageing, getting older, which I think is one thing the poem is talking about. But also it's interesting that it's also about things getting darker and that seems to be a symbol for losing one's faith further from the light, if you like. Darkness outside, inside the radio's prayer, Rockall, Malin, Dogger, Finisterre. And that's what we've got left. Those words that sound like a prayer, that sound grave and serious and are, we know, somehow important and significant and a matter of life or death, but we don't really understand it. And that is where we are now with our faith. When I say we, I mean the adults of this poem. I suppose what comes across in this when we get that woman 
who has lifted her head from the sieve of her hands and the man standing stock still. And uh, that lodger who needs, as it says, the piano scales console the lodger. He needs consolation. As you get older, you probably need that faith more and more and more as it fades to less and less and less. And that's what I think this poem, Prayer, is about. I think it's a fantastic poem, as is Death of a Teacher. And uh, I was very, very happy to share them with you. Good old Carol Ann Doffey. Thanks for listening to Frank Skinner's Poetry Podcast. Don't forget to follow so you never miss an episode. And you can also catch me every Saturday at 8am on Absolute Radio. There'll be less poetry in that, but more jokes. See you next week.